I know exactly what you're thinking. What if we take one of these technical solutions and really put it to the test? What if we put it underwater? What if we put it in the ocean? Will it be able to do what we want it to do? Well, there's only one way to find out. Let's talk to a customer who had a project that did just that and see how they fared. That's this episode of Dev Radio. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Microsoft Dev Radio. I'm Jerry Nixon, and I'm here with Teddy Onelson all the way here from Norway. We're going to be talking about an impressive accomplishment by his team and ours through a uh, proof-of-concept study that is pretty awesome, actually. Uh, Teddy Erf, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Now, before we start talking about your company, before we start talking about the solution, uh, tell me a little bit about who you are and where you come from. So I am, uh, as you said, Terry Nielsen. Uh, I am the manager of the disruptive technology in Kongsberg. So uh, Kongsberg is in Norway, a very large company compared to the U.S. companies, not that big, but compared to the Norwegian ones, it's huge. We are into all kinds of businesses. And my background is software engineering, so I am a master in software. Uh, and yeah, I did some classes at Stanford, but never actually graded there, so I went back to Norway, worked in Silicon Valley for a while, that was cool, and so now I'm back in Norway. Nice, you've been around the world. So now yeah. you are, this is, that's pretty inspiring by itself. A software developer can become the manager of disruptive technology. What, what okay. do you, what, what's, the, what's the subtext there? What are you really managing? So what we are doing is we are experimenting on new technologies to see if we can disrupt some market parts. So that means we can take what is a new on the market now? Can I put that together to, with someone else made something new, make a new product and say, okay, this is cool, like the port monitoring. And we have also tons of other things, like in the drone business and other businesses. There's a lot of things we can do just by taking the latest of technology that already exists, put it together with something else that exists and introduce it to a new market. <laughs> That's and we awesome. basically get to play all day having fun, you know. Yeah, I totally get it. That's awesome. And you have all this at your disposal with such a large company behind you. And so we're going to be talking about port monitoring, but um, let's look at the future for a second. If you're going to disrupt the tech, uh, an industry, what's the, next, what's the next industry on the chopping block? Because when I look back in history and I look at all the industry, there was a time 10 years ago when every single industry was ripe for the picking. Everything was ready to be techno technologically revamped and I th almost feel like we're at a new season where they're they're ready to be upgraded but besides all that what's the, what's the, what's in if you were to guess the next industry that was about to be disrupted what what's in your goggles I think then we will use worker drones and Azure cloud to disrupt uh, inspection building inspection ship inspection you know everything that's a risk windmills, everything where there's uh, something that's hard to get to. Yeah. You will have drones, but not game drones, but worker drones. Drones that are designed for a specific need, and they will send the data to the cloud. And then we can use the Azure uh, machine learning kind of part to figure out, is, is the building okay or not? And then, of course, the customer will just get 
oh, the building checks out, or glass number five needs to be changed. You know, you don't need to have five hours of video, you just get the results as a service. And I think that is really coming because everyone's into drones, but everyone's doing it just for fun. We, now we need to make the worker drones. Now we need to make something that actually do something. And that's worker I think drones. Be things. Yeah, it's going to be a huge thing. It's a good differentiator, the worker drone versus that fun phantom that everybody just zips around mountains taking pictures of. That's, that's a, uh, I see it too. I, you have to, I have to admit, Teddy, I'm a little nervous. That's a, it's a scary future a little bit because we're going to have drones checking my, my piping around my house and all of a sudden I'm going to look out the window and there's a drone checking out whether or not I need a, a new tile on my roof or not. And yeah. uh, it's very efficient, but it seems a little creepy too. Isn't it more creepy if there's a guy knocking on a window or something, climbing up the window and trying to look at what's going on? I don't know. I don't know. You got me. You got me. <laughs> I, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, but that's not what we're talking about. But it is fascinating, and it's it's neat to be able to talk to somebody who thinks about this stuff all the time. And it I I can only imagine all the different things you must have your fingers in. But that's not what this is. So let's talk about Kongsberg. Kongsberg is a, a large company inside Norway. You've got they've got their hands in all kinds of different industries. Let's talk about this industry. What what's the industry and this project where we're headed right now? So right now we're in the subsea industry. So the subsea is uh, positioning, uh, it's acoustic monitoring. Uh, we can uh, uh, have acoustic monitoring on the seabed to look for pipes, look for leaks, we'll look for these kind of things. We have uh, DP systems, that means we can have ships staying uh, put at one position at a time, all these kind of things. So it's monitoring, so we just call it environmental monitoring, but it also monitors everything else. And in this case, specifically, we are monitoring the seabed in ports and also the water inlet. And the main reason for this is we want the ship to be able to fill as much cargo as possible. And the draft, of course, of the boat will be higher and higher the more you fill into the boat. And at some point, it's going to get into the seabed and you get stuck. Uh, and this changes because if you have... Uh, if there's spring and there's a lot of water coming in from the lakes, you get sand and then all of a sudden the port is one meter more shallow and then you have to have one meter less of, uh, of uh, cargo on your ships. Mm -hmm. uh, so the idea here is to, to monitor this live all the time so that we at any time know how much can you actually put into yeah. your ship and still be able to get into the port. And well, we think without a system like this, then what, what, what's the alternative? We just play it safe. And we're like, well, we measured this last week. We think some things may be changed. Let's not fill this thing full so we don't get into trouble. Or let's do fill it full, and now we are into trouble. But the problem is it's not last week. It's the last six months. So that's the thing today. So they are planning ahead six months all the time. So what can happen during six months? You know, it's so they have to be super conservative. So they have to be several meters uh, about what could have been. So they lost lose a lot of money on that. But that's the only system they have at the moment. There's no alternative. Wow. And then in comes a disruptive technology that sets it all straight. It's kind of funny. We start by talking about worker drones in the air, being able to see things that are typically difficult to see. And now we're talking about things underwater, seeing things that are typically difficult to see as well. Part of the problem is we just can't, I mean, you can't just look into the water, right? Everything's not perfectly clear and there's all kinds of other reasons. Um, what, are some of the, what are some of the different technologies that you're employing to be able to see. I heard you say acoustic, but talk me through some of the different things that allow me to, I guess, have vision under the water. Right, so we use uh, sonars, which actually sends out an echo ping, listen for the uh, 
the uh, returning echo from that you can actually it's amazing though you can actually draw a picture of how the seabed looks like in a three-dimensional point cloud just by looking at your ping that ping you sent and the computers are doing this live and it's just so cool and you can have several of these uh, up on the base and you can see the entire surface just like just like there was no water there at all it's, it's you can see all the details and from this you can calculate where is the highest top where is the lowest how how did it move where is the problem areas and you can do all that and of course Kongsberg also has the AUVs which is kind of cool which is underwater autonomous vehicles so it's the same as a drone but now it's a drone on the water yeah. and you can swim around and just look at because you know in a port sometimes people lose something they lose a container off the ship and it ends up on the seabed and now the question is how, how safe is it now to go there or how deep is it now you know you don't want to hit that container you need to send someone out there to check out what's the status and that's what we can do with our systems continuously and then a lot of the systems are already using Kongsberg echo sounders on the ship so what we are our idea is to connect that to the cloud also so that when it comes in a ship they use their already onboard equipment to check the seabed <laughs> so that we can give that to the next boat coming behind it, you know, and then if we do that with all the boats we have equipment on, all of a sudden we can draw the a picture of how it looks like not six months ago, but maybe a few hours ago, you know, and that's yeah. that's more important. And then and of course, I suppose they get dangerous. No, keep going. So, so if there's something dangerous, the next boat will just stop and wait until we have removed it, which I think could be a very good thing rather than just, you know, hitting it. it. Yeah. Well, of course it is. Absolutely, it is. Bob, wow, this <laughs> this is incredible. Actually, uh, do they get to use you? Let's see. What did you call it? The Echo Sounder? Is that what you call yep. it? Is uh, is if I have that on my ship, I suppose I even have the advantage of using that when I'm not in port. You know, I come into port. The under the, the seabed is high fidelity. I be uh, you know because there's so many things taking a picture, and I get to use that as I'm kind of working my way out as well. Wow, this is uh, this is fascinating. Truly, it is fascinating. I just read an article that said. Annually, the um, the shipping industry loses ten thousand shipping containers, ten thousand every year. It's a massive. Imagine. I mean, they're so big. You could, I mean, I, it's like two of them would make my house, kind of thing. It's crazy. But the, oh well. The strange thing, though, is that so then you would think this must be an immediate success, right? It's, it's like, what is the flaw? Right. And the flaw is the shipping companies actually plan their shipping six months ahead. Uh -huh. So if I can give you the latest information that's from yesterday, but you already planned your ship six months ago, then you already filled up your cargo, you know, yeah. and, and so the, so now what we need to do is we need to put all this onto the cloud. We need to actually make it a service so that people can start also doing their shipping planning on a different level. So we ne So it doesn't matter if we can disrupt just one small part of the market, we need to take a bigger part of the market so that we can also do the planning because now we need to have the planning more agile, more like we are planning now. The ship is leaving in two hours. How is the, How much can I actually fill up? Because yeah. I'm going to be there all tomorrow, well, you know. Let, let me ask you something. Uh, it, I know that daily weather is not very reliable, but oh, you know, if you look at weather over a year, it seems like there's patterns. How reliable is the behavior of the sea and how reliable is the behavior of you know sediment and things that move and come and go into a port can you be, do you anticipate someday you'll build a model that's able to show the ongoing pattern of what's going on under the sea and then predict what's going to be next year at the same time if you have enough data it might be possible it probably then you're talking big data and then we're talking the uh, 
the uh, artificial intelligence built into Azure, right? Because now, now yeah. we need to do in background working on the big data. But after one year recording, no, you can't do that. Maybe not even after five, but maybe after 10 years because this is trends and you need to look at a trend. And one year there's a storm, the next year there's no storm. And storm actually moves sand a lot around in the rivers. So, right. you know, it's, it's hard. But if you can... And that's the cool thing about data mining, you know, if you can look into the data, if you have a lot of data and you say that, oh, well, there was a storm that year and that year, and then we got this happening, and all of a sudden you have something, and then if you find a correlation, you can say, next year, I think we're going to have this. Maybe. So it's so it's complicated is what you're saying. It's really complicated. <laughs> all right, let's get back to this birth step and being able to monitor this. Um, if I, um, do, you, do you already have this implemented in a port in Norway? Not in Norway and U.S. Oh, uh, what was the port? Is it in Seattle or something? Somewhere around Seattle area. Okay. That was the cool thing when we were in Madrid on the Hack uh, Fest, because it was a it's a small embedded computer like a Moxa, just you know, and it's a Linux computer, just like yeah. this inside a, a box, and it's doing the monitoring, and it wasn't running anything like Azure at all. It was completely running something else, and it has a cell phone, and all it has is a cell phone interface. So I was sitting in Madrid, and I was logging into this remotely over SSH, and then I installed all the Azure software on that while I was logging in. It was kind of cool. And then wow. I installed the compilers and everything because I couldn't cross-compile from my Mac because I was running Azure on my Macintosh, and there was a Linux system, and we were on a Windows hackathon. It was really cool. So I got everything installed down there, and I made a software running on the Mac first, and I took the source code up there, recompiled it, and it was running. And after two days, we were actually getting live data from the seabed onto the cloud, and the other guys working on the three-dimensional module, they were then able to actually uh, to plot it so we could see how it would look and and all this. Uh, and and you know, you make it we, sound pretty easy all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, but if it hadn't been for that Microsoft event, we, I don't think we would have made it because when you have all the experts in the room, you know, you're sitting there. Oh, yeah. On my table, there was two experts already, and in the room, I guess there was maybe 10 or 20. And every time you had an issue, there was someone who knew the answer. And even if we were running it on embedded Linux, which hasn't been tested that much, there was a lot of small bugs and dependencies nobody knew about. But still, when you're there, all the experts working back to back, you know, it was so, so cool. So after two days, we had it running. The third days, we did some demo thing, and, and it was just great. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, then then it was working on the on the Windows system, on the Mac system, and then the small embedded Linux system, and we even compiled it on the system itself over the cell phone line on the live system on the bridge. <laughs> what what can't we do in this modern world? Man, it's absolutely <laughs> incredible, <laughs> and it's all it all seems like impossible, and then all of a sudden it's so simple. Uh, hey, talk to me just a little bit about the device. I, this is pretty fascinating to me. Uh, it has a some sort of cellular. Um, Tra uh, transceiver in it. Uh, can you get a cell signal underwater, or does it have a, a a floating antenna, or how do you do something like that? Okay, so in this case, it that is actually a very fascinating question, which we are struggling with every day. But in this case, we mounted it on the berth itself. So the sonar underwater, a few meters underwater, but there's a cable going up, and there's a watertight uh, box uh, on top in air, which has a cellular phone, which can communicate. But when we are doing like tsunami warnings, then we have this issue actually that you're measuring because we have the same sonar or similar things sitting on the seabed 
And how do you communicate that to the cloud? You know, you're in the sea yeah. level, video signals. So then we have to have buoys with cables. We have to have acoustic communication. These days we can actually ac uh, communicate using sound in water, just like the whales are doing it. And then we can have satcoms floating on top of the water, and then they can send it to the cloud. So it's it's feasible, but there's a lot of things around that, and it's very very fascinating. Very complicated. It's yeah, very it complicated is complicated problem. This is why these problems uh, remain a problem because exactly. they aren't such, they don't have such a simple solution where you just drop it in and it's done. I would think you know not being I'm not in a you know any kind of maritime industry obviously. But looking at it, I would say, wow, this has been around for 2,000 years. All of these problems, I'm sure, are solved. This is, this is all done, and it's amazing to see. In fact, it's amazing for me to see every industry is like this. Every industry still has these lingering problems that it just turns out the speed of light is not fast enough. You know, it just turns out that you know, material things degrade too quickly in different environments. It just turns out all of these different things. And then we start introducing new things to them. You're like, wow, um, now that you've barely got a solution in place, it sure would be great if we could get that more real time. Boy, it sure would be great if we could uh, make it secure so people don't hack into it. It sure would be. And we have all these extra requirements where we're just by a – I don't know, by a shoestring, we're barely solving all of these problems as it is. It's fascinating to me yeah. that we, here we are in the year 20, where are we, 17, and uh, we're still like solving things in a very, um, a very early stage still. We're still a very elementary set of solutions. Even when you look at things like rocket science, even that, you know, there's a lot of duct tape being used in that type of industry to get things fixed. And it's fascinating, absolutely yeah, fascinating to me. And also I uh, think it's fascinating that if you look at the, the movies, you know what Hollywood is doing, yeah. and then you compare it to the real life, like <laughs> everyone thinks that if you have a submarine that's going really deep and you have a boat on top, you can just send live video upright because you do that on all the movies. That technology yeah. doesn't exist yet. There's no way to get the video from the subsea down uh, up to the, the boat. You know, we are working on that these days and it doesn't exist so so you know it's kind of interesting yeah it's 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 fascinating you wonder who these technical advisors on these movies are obviously <laughs> people who watch other movies instead yeah. of actual scientists <laughs> uh, talk to me a little bit about the culture the technical culture in Norway what, what's going on in Norway technologically right now is it a, is it a do you feel like you're in a, a center of technology in the world uh, in the center, probably not right in the center, but no, we're coping pretty well. Right, It turns out we're slightly behind on the cloud kind of thing because we still have the discussion where it's safe or not. Oh, and so yeah. a lot of companies still haven't moved over to have their data on the cloud. They still have the hard drives and all these kind of things. And we're in the middle now of the transition there. So, so that will happen over the next year. Well, uh, well, well wait a second, Teddy. Help me. Let's, let's pretend we're at a, a, a conference uh, together, we're in a conference room, and uh, you're convincing me of uh, this cloud solution because of machine learning. And I say, um, the cloud is the cloud even safe? What? Do you, how do you respond to that concern? So, uh, my response is, if you have a hard drive, number one, it could easily be stolen. Number sure. two, we know it's going to fail within five years. 
Are you prepared for that? Do you have a backup? Do you have a solution? Do you have an IT infrastructure that can cope with that? If it's on the cloud, someone else else is taking care of that. They are looking at where leveling. They are changing the hard drives on time. Yeah. They are making sure that the data doesn't get lost. There's no way to break into the cloud because the cloud is kind of virtual and, and you have to break into a several places at the same time. So it's kind of safe. The only thing that's not that as questionable is how do you save your password? But that's up to you, you know? Mm, so I think yeah. the, the, the thing is, how safe is your password? Did you figure it out by using your name and a number behind it? Because that's everyone's doing that. Or is it really a safe password? And where do you keep it? And I think that's where we need to work on it because it's the cloud, you know. And then, of course, it's the media who's always kind of pushing it the wrong way by saying that, oh, WikiLeaks got hold of all this kind of data by hacking something. But I think that's easier to hack a company right now than it actually is to hack the cloud. We never heard of a, anyone hacking Azure cloud, as far as I know. So I think that is way harder than just to, to hack a company who doesn't really know how to deal with in, the security. So, yeah. so, so I think that's the future anyhow. And we get all these extra things that you can, you can grow as much as you want. You start with a small company and all of a sudden you have 100 employees and you have the same cloud, right? You just order more drives or more hard drives. You don't need to rescale. That's kind of cool. And also, you can do the background machine yeah. learning kind of things, which I really like because I'm a sensor guy. I collect data from all over the world. And if you connect all the kind of data, uh, you get into big data problems. And big data problem is that it's going to take too long to go through all the data. You're going to sit there, not wait for a coffee anymore. You're probably going to sit there for days and weeks before you get the results. If you can do it in the cloud, it's just a matter of how much you want to pay. I can have 1,000 computers looking through all the data, see if they can find something I was looking for. I think that yeah. is the future. And if you don't have the data on the cloud, then it's, how do you get, uh, you know, then you're stuck. I think the cloud is another disruption for sure. Probably one of the most significant disruptions in our generation, probably, that has kind of messed up the way that we all learned how to build systems and protect systems and even build companies. It's uh, it's pretty fascinating. Let's let's back up to your solution just for a second. Um, your device was a Linux device and or it was running Linux, right? And we had an SDK for that. Um, tell me a little bit about your. Um, what you, when you went into this, were you expecting for the Microsoft Cloud to support all of the non-Microsoft technologies as much as we do? Not really. I and mean, we had a joke of that because when I got to the Hackfest, which was my kind of introduction to this, the first thing I told the guys there was, I'm going to run on a Mac because I only use Mac. And they say, no problem. And I was expecting a different uh, answer, you know. And all of a sudden, Microsoft is saying, we don't care. You can use Mac. You can use Linux. And then we were talking about an embedded Linux. Embedded Linux is quite complicated. There's no C-sharp or anything there. You know, it's only just C++. How, yeah. uh, how do you get it to work? And then it turns out they have an SDK for that, which doesn't even use C++. It's regular C, you know, so you can run it on anything. And then we were thinking, okay, but how do you compile it on embedded Linux? You know, that's always tricky with all this dependency and all that. And yeah. it turns out that it took... It took a few hours to get the dependency worked out, but it was actually a lot smoother than I thought. And all of a sudden, I was pushing data to the cloud through the secure link using a, uh, IoT and even event hubbing. And, and you know, that was, that was surprisingly easy when you got, but of course you had these super experts around you, which really helps though. So, and then also when I did it on the Mac, I used the Xcode, which is a compiler on Macs. And that was surprising that that was so easy because I didn't expect that to just work. So then, 
because then I had some extra time. Then I tried it on Qt just to see if it works on that also. And that, that also worked. So it's kind of cool. And uh, you, you can use it for anything now. All of, the, all of these pieces, it is amazing to me that uh, the requirement to, be, to have a proprietary line of technology is kind of in the past. And now we realize that, I mean, honestly, companies like, you know, Kongsberg and others have already made significant investments in hardware and other technologies that, you know, if we were to turn around and say, okay, now we need you to change to everything we support – all of a sudden, there's a that's just unrealistic, right? It's just un, it's not good business anymore okay. for sure. I agree. And, I agree. Um, let, let's so now we have that. Now I I'm picturing Marco. Marco works in let's say Spain, and uh, he is listening to everything you're saying because his company, even though it has nothing to do with anything in water, they have a very similar scenario, and they kind of want to pull off what you've pulled off. What would you say to Marco? Like, how could he get started? Because he's not going to a hack fest, but he knows that there are some things out there that you've probably discovered. What, what would you say to a developer who's watching who wants to kind of do what you've done? Okay, so it's, it's actually quite simple. You go on the net, and there's two things you need to search for. First, of course, first you need to figure out, do I want to make an IoT device or do I want to make just an event hub? So the event hub, you just push data and you don't need anything back. On the IoT, you can get actually data back and you have something yeah. called parallel twins that you means you can get configuration. So you need to, to consider which one. Then you go on to Google and then, or Bing or whatever you want to search on. That's yeah, exactly. Terrific. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you search for um, uh, uh, Azure uh, IoT uh, C++ embedded. And you okay. come directly into the, the page that Microsoft made. And it has a nice description of how you do everything. And in the bottom, you download the SDK. And when you download the SDK, assuming that you know a few things about Linux compilation, you will be able to make it work within a few hours. There will, there's always some dependencies because they are using the SSH for secure communication, so you need that okay. library. And that's, sure. you're going to get stuck on that library because they need a, uh, the development version of it. And there's also another library that you will, but you will, you will look into it and you will see it, and you need to add a couple of libraries, and when you've done that, you will be able to compile it, and then it's just going to run. And yet, the only thing you will also notice, which I think Microsoft should work some on, is the examples are a little too complicated for the very first beginner. I mean, if you have an SDK and you have a bunch of examples, these are good, but you could have made the examples even simpler. So what I did was I took the simplest example and I made another software on top of that just to abstract even more. Because all you actually need is you need to open the connection, you need to write the data, and close the connection. You yeah. could have made it in open, write, close. And mm -hmm. with a few parameters, which is the key, the SAS key, and these kind of things. So it could have been, but rather than that, it's like uh, 50 lines of code, uh, code <laughs> that you need to kind of understand, and then you can make it run. However, the thousands of lines of code are abstracted because they're already in the SDK. You don't need to think about it. And once you start to read out the SDK, it's kind of simple. It's kind of okay to use. And uh, and I got it to work quite quick, and mm -hmm. I just used the uh, named pipes for the communication, and then it was super simple because if you use a named pipe, you can take any other software and just pipe the data directly to the Azure, and that worked quite well actually. Uh, but do expect a little time. Don't don't think it's going to do it in ten minutes because there is Linux, you know, it always takes a little extra. 
And you did it in three days, so without uh, you know, 20 experts sitting around you, it might take me a week or so and a lot more Googling to be able to find all the answers that maybe I need to. But the more important part is this isn't a six-month science project to try and see if we can get this to work. It is something you could probably turn around in a, you know, a somewhat short sprint or something like that that you have exactly. with that your team. Can, you can send a couple of developers to try this out. Uh, talk to me about the overall solution. Um, how... What do you see as far as taking what you've um, discovered here with, these, with this uh, proof of concept and implementing it into your real products? Is, is, that, is that something you see coming forward? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do. So in the beginning, I was kind of, I didn't know if this was something or, you know, just a hype. And then I started to work with it. And I am also working in a project called Ocean Farming, where we make the world's largest fish farm. You know, 110 meter in diameter is larger than the oil platforms just to, to harvest fish or to have um, salmon. And there's a lot of sensor in that because we want to make sure that the salmon is uh, feeling good, you know, and then it grows and all these kind of things. And that's going to be big data. After a few years, we, uh, after collecting this data for a few years to get some trends, we're going to have a huge amount of data. How do we process this data? How do we, where do we store the data? This has been a big issue. Now that we have Azure, we can push all this data to the cloud. And then we can have the, the cloud looking for uh, correlations because what data mining is all about is finding new correlations. So if I look at the temperature on the water, the salinity on the water, how much the fish is actually growing, maybe I can find new correlation. Maybe they got too mm -hmm. much feed or too little feed. So I can actually tell the, the farmer that you need to do these, these changes to have a more optimum kind of grow of the fish or whatever you want. But you can only do this over trending over a long time because if you measure just like one cycle, that could be that could be that one cycle, but next cycle could be something completely different. But you yeah. can do it over a lot, a lot of cycles, and you have your your artificial intelligence looking at all this data and trying to figure out where is the correlation, what what happened, why did that do, and and then after a while, I think we can actually give them pretty good suggestions. And and there's a huge project in knowing going on right now, and there people are putting in a lot of money into this, so it's going to be cool. Yeah, sounds delicious. <laughs> and, and that's just one of the things. Of course, I'm, I'm from the uh, drone industry originally, so I really like the drone part. And I think also there we really need the, the uh, Azure or similar cloud because we want to collect all the data from these worker drones I talked about and get it into the cloud so that the cloud can do the post-processing and then we can deliver data as a service. If you're inspecting a, a glass facade on a huge building, Rather yeah. than climbing around, you take the drone, you go up, down, up, down. They're really good at this, you know, boring job going up, down, up, down. But that's going to be like five hours of video. Who's going to watch the five hours of video? Now is where you need your, your solution on the cloud, you know. Looking, the, the computer will look through the video and look for the fact and say Windows number 451 needs to replace. Windows number 265 is broken, but the rest was okay. And then you have two small pictures you need to consider about rather than hours. And I think that's the future. And you can, you can do that with everything. You can do it with houses, buildings, boats, ships, I don't know, whatever. Well, as data grows and we have just so much data, the upside to it, I think, is that we're able to ask questions against that data we've never had before. Like when we were talking about the behavior of the sea, maybe with a decade's worth of data, 
we can start to ask for patterns that are bigger than we expected. You know, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. O only having that data is what's going to tell us, and only being able to measure that data are we going to get it in the first place. And so it's funny how this, we have this, you know, almost virtuous cycle of if you do this, then you get that, then you get this. But that gives you the, even more. And so it's just one of those those strange things where we need people like you to be able to have the foresight to say, here are the things we need to measure because even though we're dropping this thing in so we can see the seafloor, it'd be really great if we also knew uh, the temperature. And it'd be really great if we also knew, and just fill in the blank, right? There's so many yeah. things that you could measure. But don't, and but not only that, it may you know, not I have think, an immediate business case. Yeah, and I think also in the future, there will be business cases just buying data from others. If you collect a lot of data about sea temperature, someone else who is not interested in the sea temperature, but they're interested in something else, birds or whatever, they will want to buy your data because then they can put that into their Azure cloud. And then if you buy data from a lot of companies, you can get a new picture, right? So all of a sudden, you're not looking at the birth monitoring, but you look at how sand is moving in rivers or whatever. And all of a sudden, you can just get our data plus some other guy's data. And then you can put together a new picture and you can deliver that as a service to the third guy who wants something. <laughs> um, now, um, we know that we have a lot of data and we're pushing it into the cloud how do you deliver it? Like, what, what, are, what are your customers, what do you anticipate your customers being able to see on the other side? Um, raw data or just, you know, is it going to be a, I don't know, you tell me. So we are deep into process data. We don't think the raw data, it's, it's not, no, it doesn't work because then mm -hmm. the customer has to actually understand the equipment. They have to understand how the sensor actually works. That doesn't work. We have to post-process the data so it's understandable. And what we are working on now, and I have a bigger department working on, is how can we make like three-dimensional viewing mm. of the data? How can we right. make like easy to see things? So if we can project the data in a very easy to understand way, they don't need to know that behind there's a lot of numbers and a lot of math and all these kind of things, all they can see is just a result. They can, if, there's, if they're inspecting a ship on the seabed who has gone down, they want to see the ship, right? They don't want to have all the data and the point clouds and all this. That doesn't make sense to them. And also, we just uh, uh, purchased a huge part in a company who's doing power line inspection, power grid inspection. So they're just using a drone and they fly around the power grid and they're looking at it and see if it's, there's something wrong with the isolator. But they don't need to send all the data back to the, uh, the power grid owner. They just say that uh, isolator 4,000 needs to be replaced and 2,000 need to be replaced and the rest of the drones have to do it themselves. And I think that's the thing you need to do. You need to take the video, post-process it, and then just give the result, like five-minute clip and this is what we saw. We think it's strange. Uh, but of course, you cannot do that manually yourself. You have to have the computers doing this so that yep. there's no labor into it. You just stream in the data, make it do your job and get it back and I think still we're not quite there in a lot of business industries but over the next 10, year, 10 years we're going to see a lot of growth in that you know things are going to get so much smarter the computer will actually be able to tell us so much more about what is the status of this is this okay or not it's you know and I'll tell you what's funny Teddy or what the coolest part is what you're talking about isn't science fiction it's just allowing the data to catch up. It's allowing our models to catch up, right? It's not, can the cloud execute this much computation? Of course it can. We just, yeah. haven't, we just haven't built those models yet because we don't have that data yet. And, it's, and we're waiting for business to catch up, for monitoring to catch up, and really just to be able to have this 
almost there's a threshold we need to cross where the data is, and then suddenly all of this is sort of sitting. This is fascinating. This whole birth monitoring system is fascinating. I'm so glad you were able to come to this Hackfest and work with us. I'm, I'm super happy you had a great experience as well. This has been a pretty fascinating conversation. Thanks a lot for taking the time and talking to us about it because I feel like just conversations like this, you know, somebody who's watching this show, they're like, man, I'll never be in the, you know, the birth monitoring, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, everything has such a relationship. I'm going to build a system that monitors tree growth, and it is going to be very similar to your system when I'm done, because in the end, these technologies are the same technologies. You're just implementing it in a different way. Sure, yours is underwater. Sure, yours uses cell phone or whatever, right? And exactly. it's pretty neat to be able to see, wow, here it is. It's on a massive scale, and it actually works, right? It's, this isn't just a marketing video where we're like, oh, someday it'll work, and here's the dream. It actually, there is something there. Thanks, Teddy. I appreciate this conversation. Anything you want to leave it here in closing? That is always difficult. No, I think I pass, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the famous no. last words. No. Famous last words, that's right. All right. Well, thanks. I appreciate you being on the call. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll Bye. Talk to you again.